Let us pray. Holy God, we don't always know how to pray, but you find us anyway. We don't always know how to listen, but you are in our ears all the same. We don't always know how to believe, but you surround us with beauty, and we find ourselves held together in love. Where we come from, there are so many distractions. Where we come from, there is so much noise. So find us, hold us, be in these words, and help us to hear. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 15. Hear now God's word to us. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may your word now breathe into each of us the breath of life, that we would have clarity of heart and mind to follow in the way of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I've been meaning to ask, where are you from? We're starting this series built on these four questions, and I really love this not only because of how it fits uh, with our current time, but also if you look at the four questions, they, they also map onto what um, many scholars uh, say are the four main parts of the biblical story. So the first is creation, where are you from? The second is the fall or sin, where does it hurt? third part is redemption, what do you need? And the fourth part is consummation or restoration, where do we go from here? So in a, in a broad way, we are both getting 
the overarching story of scripture this month and looking at these really important questions that are not surface level. You know, they invite us to tell our stories, to share our pain, to care for one another, and to dream about a new way forward together. And these are important questions for us right now as we're coming out of a pandemic and trying to figure out what does ministry in the post-pandemic world look like? What does family life, school life, work life look like now? And so I think these questions can help us as we ponder what the world will look like moving forward. I also think these questions are really great for us as a church right now because we are entering this season of in-betweenness, of interim ministry between one senior pastor and another. And so these questions can help us to think about where do we come from as a church? What is our story? And where are we going? But before we dive into Genesis 2, I think we also need to remember what just happened in Genesis 1. So we got the first story of creation, um, where the seven days are laid out and God speaks the world into being. And at the height of creation, God creates humanity, male and female, in God's own image and puts us on the earth to cultivate it, to keep it and till it. This is often referred to as the cultural mandate. And then at the culmination of the story, God also gifts us with Sabbath, with rest. And then we dive into this story, which doesn't sound anything like the first creation story. And some scholars would say that you're it's better to read this story in conjunction with chapter 3 about the fall than it is to read it in conjunction with Genesis 1. But I think there are four main observations in this text that are relevant to us today. The first is that, I don't know about you, but I notice a lot of just language, words, verbs, nouns, adjectives, Describing the creation, it's very earthly, right? There's reference to earth, heavens, plants, field, rain, stream, ground, dust, gardens, food, trees of life. There's even reference to really random uh, substances like delium and onyx stone. So this is very earthly, fleshly, right? This is very different from the first story of creation. Even the word for human here, which is translated man in, in our NRSV translation, is in Hebrew the word Adam, which is also where we get Adam. But that word is related to the Hebrew word for ground, which is Adama. So Literally, humanity is taken from the literal creation of their environment, the dust of the earth, intimately formed by the hands of God. So that's the first big observation. The second one is God's role in this story. For all those 
English nerds out there, you will notice that the Lord God is the subject of many of these sentences and phrases. You know, we got a subject, verb, object. This should be going this way for you all. Um, and the Lord God is the subject of 10 different phrases in these verses. God is the one who is doing all the work here. And as opposed to Genesis 1, where God speaks the creation into existence, here, God makes it from dust. God breathes into nostrils. God plants a garden, and later God takes a rib and converses with humans and walks in the garden. So this is a God who is not distant. God is with us here in the dirt. God's very breath animates the dust, and it becomes a living being. Side note about breath. I'm reading a book entitled Breath on the lost art, or the new science of a lost art. And he actually, the author actually makes reference to this verse, that uh, the importance of breathing through our nose, through our nasal uh, passages and not through our mouth, and how much more life that gives us. You literally will live longer and have better health when you breathe through your nose. And I don't think that's a coincidence in this passage, that God's breath, that he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. Breath is also, in Hebrew, the word ruach. You can even hear it coming out of the throat and the breath. And that's also the word that's translated for spirit. So in that way, it's God's spirit, God's breath, that is animating and giving us life. This is a God who is close to us in every breath, really. And I think that this is significant because when we're looking at the question, where are you from? We're, we're putting ourselves into the, the, the main actor role. And here, that is not us. We are not the ones who determine who or what is worthy of God's breath of life. Only God is worthy to have that role. Thirdly, this leads into our role. What does this passage say about our role? Well, as compared to the 10 times that the Lord God is the subject, we are only the subject of two phrases, and one of them is to say that we didn't exist. So I find that interesting. I also find it interesting that, it, that the first instance, it says, there was no one to till the ground. Or in the Common English Bible, it says, there was still no human being to farm the fertile land. Why? Why is that? Why does, why does this passage point out that there was no one to till the ground? I mean, we're reading all these phrases about how God planted the garden and made us from dust and planted these trees. And so why can't God till it? Why can't God keep the ground? I think that that's significant because then at the end we read, 
Well, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. God invites us into this work of creation, of cultivating the stuff of the earth. To till and keep. This is to steward, to work, to preserve, protect, develop, inventive to the creation. And this isn't just talking about nature, but all forms of created world. This is so important because it means that our lives have meaning and purpose. Miguel de la Torre, uh, a theologian, says that it could be said that humans have an occupation before they're even created. You were created from the stuff of God's creation by God getting down in the dirt. And you were created for a holy purpose. We often forget that work is part of the creation, not part of the fall. We toil in our work, that's part of the fall. But the actual work itself was always meant to be a part of our lives. I think this is so important for us because if we forget this aspect of the biblical story, we'll get focused on just going to eternal life with Jesus and, and end up not really thinking that this, this life matters all that much. But it does. God has invited us into this cultivating and preserving work of the world. Lastly, I think that there are some uh, interesting ideas that come from the rivers in these verses. You'll notice the artwork for this week by Hannah Garrity is a contemplation on these four rivers coming out of Eden. And when I first saw that piece of art, I wondered why she chose the rivers out of these verses to focus on. I mean, they seem like they're just, they come out of nowhere. And yet, there are 14 different references to water imagery throughout these verses. And in the context of our question, where are you from, I think that the rivers begin to make a lot more sense. First of all, the, the rivers stem from the same place. We all were created by God. We are made in the image of God. And we were created for a holy purpose. We all came from the same stuff of the earth. And yet, at the same time, rivers go in multiple directions. We're all unique. Just because we are one as humanity doesn't mean that we don't have differences and that those differences aren't good. I love that these verses talk about not only the direction of where the rivers are going, but also the landscape around them. All this detail about the river Pishon that flows around the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold, 
And that land's gold is pure. And the land also has sweet-smelling resins and gemstones. I think this is important because, again, it points to the fact that we are shaped by our landscapes. We all have stories to tell, stories about our lives and how they have shaped who we are today and where we are today. Stories are important. The other passage that we could have chosen for this morning is when Jesus calls Nathanael and he asks the question, can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus was huge in telling stories, telling them through parables and teaching people. Even Paul in Acts 22, when he is bombarded by a mob in Jerusalem, his response is to tell them a story, to tell them his story of where he came from, where he was trained, how God called him out of his persecution of the way, and what God is doing with him now. I think that's the power of stories, because they allow us to enter into the experience of the other, to understand where they're coming from, how they have been shaped, and what makes them tick. And maybe that allows us to step into their shoes and view life from a different perspective. Stories are important, and the landscapes that have developed us are important. These rivers are also performing different functions. In going in different directions, they are serving different types of land. And this, again, speaks to our great holy calling of vocation. God has gifted us with different skills and abilities, and God is calling us into different and unique vocations. People often hear the word vocation and they think ministry, that that has to be as a pastor. But vocation is, is any work that you are called to. The, um, the architect who designed PNC Park uh, is a Christian, and I heard him talk about how he really lived into and thought about his faith and some of these verses in Scripture when he was designing the park, and, and how he wanted everyone, every seat in the park to be able to have this gorgeous view of the Pittsburgh landscape or scenery using his story and how God has worked in his life in his vocation. And I also love that rivers change over time. The way that they look at the beginning in Eden is not how they look when they get to Cush or Assyria. We change over time, and that's important too, to keep account and be aware of how our stories have shaped us and changed us over time. Each of us is shaped by where we came from. But as Christians, we are also shaped by the second Adam, Jesus Christ. 
whose story becomes our story in our baptism, in his death and resurrection, in our coming together at this table. Where is Christ from? Jesus is God's only son, but he's also a descendant of King David. He's from Nazareth and Bethlehem. He's from the Virgin Mary and the carpenter Joseph. He's also a first century Jew. And he lived and grew up in a Roman-occupied Palestine. This is all so important for us to keep in mind when we think about Jesus and think about how his story formed and shaped him over time. But this is what the good news is. Because of Jesus' story, we are all God's children. We have been adopted and claimed in our baptism. Not sure what, what's going on there. <laughs> we are all God's children, right? We've been adopted and claimed, and we are empowered by Christ to be the headwaters flowing out into all of creation, every area of life. And at this table when we celebrate communion, we're not only remembering this reality, this story of where we are all from, we also remember ourselves into that story and into the one united body of Christ. So some questions for you to contemplate this month, and even this week, really, with this question, where are you from? What is your story? Who and what has shaped you into the person that you are today? And how does Christ change that? How is Christ inviting you to use your story and participate in his redemptive work in the world? How has the pandemic shaped you? Where are you from now that you've come through the past year and a half? And what might God be inviting in and through you because of the past year and a half? How have the past 10 years as a church influenced our story? And where is God inviting us to go next with this story. I hope that this month you will embrace curiosity, not only in yourselves, but in each other. And really listen. Step into the stories of those that you interact with. I am from Northern Virginia, Connecticut, Tacoma, Washington. I'm also from two loving parents, a working mom and a stay-at-home dad. 
I'm from loving grandparents who showed me what love of God and love of neighbor really looks like. I am from middle child syndrome, older brother, younger sister. I'm from an engineering study in college, a seminary education in grad school. I'm also from some really hard trauma in the church. And if you want to know more, come talk to me. But I'm also from a God who never let me go. Who has been redeeming my story, the hard parts of it especially, with every passing day and year. And I am from this church now, from the ministry that God has called us all into. So where are you from? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.